If you think about it, there are not many places where you'll find people gathered for a public reading of someone's death account. And I read John 19, like we've just read, with the details of Jesus' death. Isn't that just a little bit strange? People don't gather for public readings of coroner's reports. There might be a newspaper article about someone's death, but you don't gather again and again and again to read it out. I guess the thing we might have is a Shakespearean tragedy. It's got to be at least a little bit strange when you think about it, if you're not familiar with it, to read a chapter like we have just read. If it had pictures or, or a video to go with it, it'd have an age classification on it. It'd likely be censored on social media by the censoring algorithms. Perhaps it'd even come with a trigger warning. Why do this strange thing? Why read together John chapter 19 and now spend the next 20, 25 minutes thinking about it? Well, if you've been around church for a little while, like me, and is convinced that the Bible is God's Word to us, all of it, well, there's a good reason to read it. And if we know the gospel message of what God is doing for us in the world, the central message of our faith, the central part of that is Jesus' death, His crucifixion, and so, well, we want to read that bit. But why all the detail? Why not just one sentence? Christ Jesus died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We looked at that verse last week. Can't we just have one sentence? Why all the detail? What does John want us to see here in chapter 19? Now, John is always writing so we might believe to life. Believe to life. We're not far away from John chapter 20, verse 31. John chapter 20, verse 31, which is the key verse for understanding John's gospel. He said, these things are written, everything that he's written down, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything that John has seen and that John has thought about, he has written down in a particular way that other people like us, even 2,000 years later, might be convinced about what we hear and believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we believe, when we line our lives up with that conviction, we will have true life. Life that is good. Life that goes on forever. And life that starts now. And so what John is doing in chapter 19, just like every other chapter, he is giving us his conviction the information that he has that will lead to belief. So in chapter 19, John the disciple, I'm going to talk about John Baptist, so, but John disciple at the moment, John disciple is struck by what he recognised in Jesus' death. He sees in Jesus' death as he was there 
Old Testament expectations about the suffering of the Christ Messiah being fulfilled in front of his eyes. He gives this detailed eyewitness account, not just so that we know that Jesus is dead, not to shock us with morbid details, but so that we might believe, like him, that Jesus is the Christ Messiah and Son of God. Now we're going to do some jumping back into the Old Testament today. As much as we look at John 19, we're going to spend as much time in the Old Testament. Two books in two two chapters in particular. You might even like to start looking them up now and bookmark them. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Looking back into the Old Testament, we'll be able to see the connections that John is making. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. We'll come to those in a moment. First of all, we've got the sentencing of Jesus. We've got this courtroom trial. And Pilate's courtroom reflects the courtroom of Psalm 2. Don't worry about turning to Psalm 2. Let me tell you just a couple of sentences from it. It says, The kings of the earth earth, rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Pilate's courtroom, as the representative of Uh, the Roman emperor, the king of the land, Caesar, Pilate's courtroom, reflects this courtroom of Psalm 2, a rising up against the Lord and his anointed one. John, watching on, he sees them flog Jesus. He sees them punch Jesus in the face. He sees them mock Jesus and cry out for Jesus to be crucified, while at that very moment they don't realise that they are going to toe-to-toe with God's true King and Son. Jesus' silence amidst the abuse in verse 9 is like Isaiah's servant who comes from God to rescue his people. Have you got Isaiah 53 there? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. As we've just read, John 19 See how this is in the background for John as he watches on. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is sentenced to crucifixion and in the details of Jesus' crucifixion, John sees not just a gruesome death, but in the crucifixion he sees more Old Testament echoes that point to who Jesus is. And here it's like there's a background theme song starts playing for John. I don't know why I'm playing heavy metal electric guitar at this point. Uh, maybe that's the kind of music that might be going in the background uh, for me here. Uh, the theme song in the background is Psalm 22. So open up there now to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a Davidic psalm, a psalm of David, a psalm of God's King, and it's a psalm of suffering. It's a psalm on the lips of God's righteous one, God's ultimate King, who is suffering at the hands of people. We're going to just hear a few riffs from Psalm 22, starting with the heading. For the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, that sounds like heavy metal, doesn't it? Uh, The doe of the morning, a psalm of David. 
Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. See, John is hearing this in the background. He, he knows and he's familiar with Psalm 22. In the other Gospels, when we get to Jesus being crucified on the cross, the words of Psalm 22 are on Jesus' lips. He's got these words playing in his headphones. John has got it as well. Down in verse 6, verse 6, still in Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength has dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Do you get the feel of Psalm 22? A psalm of God's righteous one. The words of God's righteous one who is suffering at the hands of his people. You see why when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he had these words on his lips? You see how John, familiar with his Old Testament, familiar with the book of Psalms, familiar with Psalm 22, that he is seeing in Jesus' sentencing and his crucifixion and his death, that Jesus is this righteous one who is suffering. You see, Jesus is crucified, verse 18, between two other men. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen 16 says, Dogs surround me, a pack of evil people, a pack of evil men, villains, encircle me. John watches on at Jesus' crucifixion and sees soldiers dividing up Jesus' clothes. An unsurprising eyewitness detail. Yet in God's plan, this is the fulfilment of Scripture. This is a direct quote from Psalm 22. And John wants us to see that the crucifixion of Jesus does not diminish Jesus' Christ Messiah identity, but confirms it. Back in John 19, you want to flick back to there? John 19, as Jesus dies, John knows it's no coincidence that this is Passover preparation day. Passover preparation day. Uh, The Passover and the preparation 
Uh, it has been mentioned in verse 14. It's mentioned in verse 31. It's mentioned again in verse 42. And John sees this as no coincidence. The Passover preparation day, this is a day in the Old Testament calendar where God's people remember and celebrate God's rescue of them from Egypt. Remember Moses, remember the Pharaoh, remember the plagues and the last plague was the plague of death. But God had promised to keep his people safe as they took the blood of a, of a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, and took that blood and, and spread it on their doorposts as a, as a sign, as a symbol that they belonged to God, that they put their hope and their trust and their confidence in God's promises. They shared together then in the Passover meal, a, a symbolic meal that marked out that night when God would rescue them from slavery in Egypt. It was then an annual remembrance, an annual celebration and Jesus' arrest, sentencing, crucifixion, death happens right in the context of that. No coincidence. Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. John sees this. There's a reference to unbroken bones in verses 33 and 36. This was a particular specification with how the Old Testament Israelites were to treat the Passover lamb. As they slaughtered it, as they butchered it, as they prepared it for eating, they were not to break any of its bones. Even though the others that were crucified with Jesus and common practice, that bones be broken, Jesus' bones were not broken. Verse 29, we see the presence of a hyssop plant. Back in the Old Testament Exodus, at the original Passover, it was with a hyssop branch that the Israelites were to take the blood and spread it on their doorposts. Here at Jesus' crucifixion and death, we have a hyssop plant. Verse 34, we have the presence of blood. Blood was a significant symbol at the moment of Passover. Remember what John Baptist said when he first saw Jesus, John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John Disciple can see that at Jesus' death, he is God's righteous one who in death brings the ultimate rescue of his people. Well, the last thing that John has for us here in this chapter is details recounting Jesus' burial. And there are two things for us to notice here. First of all, the details about the burial are evidence that Jesus is truly dead. <laughs> Necessary that we might then prove, or John might go on to prove, the resurrection. Jesus is definitely, truly, absolutely dead. But there's also a, a, a thing that John is doing in recording the details of the burial. We've got here an account of a rich person's burial. Joseph of Arimathea, a, a secret disciple of Jesus, 
along with Nicodemus, who we first met in John chapter 3, who at that time wasn't a believer. Uh, They come and give Jesus a rich person's burial. Again, an echo of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53.9 says of uh, uh, God's suffering servant, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. For John Disciple, watching Jesus' sentencing, watching Jesus' crucifixion, watching his death, watching his burial, he is convinced to believe. See verse 35? Verse 35, The man who saw it has given testimony. The man who has written this down, John Disciple. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. John writes this down in all of its detail so that others will be convinced of the evidence of who Jesus is and believe. Now we're going to be very clear right now about what belief is, about the kind of belief that John is on about, about the kind of belief that the Bible is on about. Belief is not a blind leap in the dark. John has not written this down, then inviting us to take a leap into the unknown. For John, belief is not a warm interest in Jesus. John hasn't written this down so that it might be an inspiring or entertaining or warming or heart-gripping kind of story that makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves and the world. That is not belief. Belief is not just a recognition of historical facts about Jesus' existence. John is not just writing a history textbook so that we can line up timelines in history and perhaps learn some lessons from that. That is not belief. Belief is not an academic exercise in ancient texts where people might rise up as scholars of it and have a fascination by it and sit around, on, sit around it on Sunday mornings and in and study groups just to investigate it as an academic exercise. That is not belief for John, for the New Testament writers, for you and I. Belief is a life-changing and life-giving conviction of who Jesus is. Belief is the conviction that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah and Son of God. We need to look into the Old Testament so that we understand what those things are, what they mean, how they fit into God's great plans of salvation into eternity. Belief is the conviction that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God and because this is who Jesus is, belief is lining our lives up with Jesus. An alignment that brings forgiveness of sins. An alignment that makes life good. An alignment that makes life go on forever. An alignment that starts now. And so here's our life plan 
for John chapter 19. We've been doing little life plans every week through this uh, second half of John's Gospel, little slogans, little things that help us to remember, like a coach's game plan, one thing to shape our lives this week and our belief. This is our slogan for this week. B2L. B2L, that's our life plan. This is what it stands for, believe to life. Perhaps it's the simplest one that we've done so far. It's the all-encompassing one. It is the punchline of John's Gospel, B2L. If you don't remember anything else about John's Gospel, if you don't remember anything else about any one of these sermon series, remember this, B2L. Make it your life plan for this week and the rest of your life. Believe to life. Have a belief that lines life up with Jesus. A belief that knows the life that Jesus offers. It really captivates everything that we've seen so far. A belief that brings forgiveness of sins. A belief that knows life plan R for you from last week. The righteous for the unrighteous. It's a life plan that knows unity with Jesus and other believers. Remember, we're going back further into John's Gospel now. It's a belief that brings extravagant peace. A belief that brings extravagant service in a life lined up with Jesus. Belief that is reflected in a life of extravagant love. We're going to see over the next couple of weeks that it's a life that's lined up with Jesus' mission of living for Jesus' glory. So in the complexity of our lives, in the many different things that we'll need to think of tomorrow and the next day and the next day, the challenges that will come upon us, the things that will compete for our time and our attention and our priorities and our efforts, be clear on this life plan. B2L. Believe to life. John says these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you will have life in his name. B2L. Now today there's not a symbol to write on your wrist or as some of the youth did last week, tattooed onto their foreheads. This week is not a symbol but a meal. The symbolic meal that Jesus gave us to remind us of this life plan. B2L. Believe to life, to recognise who Jesus is and line our lives up with his. I want to invite you this morning to get on board with this life plan, to stay on board with this life plan, to bring this life plan into the centre of your life. Believe to life. This meal is an invitation to remember and, and stake your claim into your life that you believe Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. This meal is an invitation to keep doing that through our life and to bring that back to the centre. This meal, as we eat and drink by faith is our response to God and to one another to show that we are lining our lives up with Jesus' glory. 
The New Testament says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples who were gathered with them, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. See, remembrance here at this point is not just a psychological recollection exercise, but it's about belief. Lining our lives up with Jesus in repentance, repenting of our sins and committing ourselves in belief, in faith, in Jesus. Jesus.